When people think of a cult, they usually think of a group with strange beliefs who live on a compound in the middle of the woods, far from society, out of sight and hidden away. People might think cult members are physically locked away. People might think that nearly all cults end in violence or mass suicide. What if I told you these are major misconceptions? It's true, there are some cults hidden away in the woods. There are some cults that end in violence and mass suicide. Some cults do actually keep people prisoners. But what if I told you that the vast majority do not? The media makes us think it's only the worst case scenario that qualifies it as a cult. What's so dangerous in this thinking is that no cult starts out as extreme. It's a slow process of indoctrination, and each group differs on how far they go. People think that they could easily spot a cult and that they would never join a cult. The thing is, no one joins a cult. They join a good cause that turns into a coercive, high-control group. What if I told you there are cults that are in plain sight? That the chains put on people in some cults are only the chains of indoctrination around their minds. Not believing or even leaving the group means eternal damnation. What if I told you that sometimes painting the outside world as a completely evil and unsafe place is enough to keep some people from exploring outside the group? What if I told you that some cults enforce strict rules, discipline, and monitor members because it's really for the spiritual growth of each member? What if I told you that cult members' questioning of leaders meant questioning God? What if I told you that members had to be subjected to the group's teachings and could not question because it's the absolute truth? What if I told you that a cult could openly exist in the middle of one of the fastest-growing cities in America? I'm sure it makes you uncomfortable to think you could be driving right by a cult on your way to work every morning. Or you're out and about running your errands and little did you know, you could be right next to a cult. It's unsettling to think about, isn't it? This is your host, Andrew Pledger, and this is Surviving Bob Jones University, a Christian Cult. Content Warning This series contains mentions of mental health issues, suicide, sexual abuse, and other sensitive subjects. Episode 1, History and Politics Bob Jones University is a private Christian college located in Greenville, South Carolina. The university has a long and complex history marked by controversies and legal battles over issues such as racial segregation, academic freedom, sexual abuse claims, discrimination against LGBTQ plus students, and the toxicity of religious fundamentalism. 
In this episode, we will explore the history of Bob Jones University. Bob Jones University was founded in 1927 as Bob Jones College, a small Bible college in Panama City, Florida. The Great Depression followed hard on its heels. Bob Jones College barely survived bankruptcy, and it moved to Cleveland, Tennessee in 1933. The college was founded by Bob Jones Sr., an evangelist and radio preacher who had gained a reputation for his outspokenness on social and political issues. Jones Sr. was a staunch opponent of evolution and modernism, and he believed that Christians needed to be educated in a rigorous Bible-based curriculum that would prepare them to defend their faith against the challenges of the modern world. And they have to do with the emphasis and purposes and plan of Bob Jones University. Now, we cannot emphasize this institution without emphasizing the gospel, without emphasizing the Bible, without emphasizing the uncompromising position of the Bible, and all that sort of thing. We can't operate this year any other way. Bob Jones College moved to Greenville, South Carolina in 1947, and it was renamed as Bob Jones University. Bob Jones Jr. officially became the school's second president right before the college moved to Greenville. Bob Jones III became the president in 1971 and was president until 2005. And from 2005 to 2014, Stephen Jones was the president. The first president not part of the Joneses family was Steve Pettit, who served from 2014 to 2023. Recently, Bob Jones University has their acting president as Alan Benson. Reason for Founding In this episode, we will explore the reasons why Bob Jones University was founded as a reaction to modernism, liberal theology, secularism, and evolution. Bob Jones Sr. was a fundamentalist Christian preacher who believed that the Bible was a literal infallible word of God. Modernism was a cultural and intellectual movement that emerged in the late 19th and early 20th centuries in Europe and America. Modernists rejected traditional forms of art, literature, and thought and embraced new forms of expression that reflected the changes and challenges of the modern world. They believed in the power of reason, science, and progress to improve human society and create a better world. For fundamentalist Christians like Bob Jones Sr., modernism represented a threat to traditional Christian values and beliefs. They saw modernists as atheists, skeptics, and moral relativists who rejected the authority of the Bible and denied the existence of God. They believed that modernism was leading people away from God and toward a godless, secular society. Now, you were either a fundamentalist or you were a modernist. You were either a Bible Christian or you are not a Christian. You can't get the two together. So let's understand that. Secularism refers to the separation of religion and state and the belief that public life should be free from religious influence. 
In the early 20th century, secularism was gaining ground in American society as more and more people began to question the influence of religion in public life. This trend was seen as a threat by many fundamentalist Christians who believed that the separation of church and state would lead to a decline in moral values and the erosion of traditional Christian beliefs. For Bob Jones Sr., secularism represented a rejection of God and a move towards a godless society. He believed that Christians needed to defend their faith against the forces of secularism and to promote Christian values in public life. The theory of evolution first proposed by Charles Darwin in the mid-19th century was seen as a major challenge to traditional Christian beliefs. The theory proposed that all living organisms had evolved over millions of years through a process of natural selection, rather than being created by God as described in the Bible. For Bob Jones Sr., the theory of evolution represented a direct attack on the authority of the Bible and on the belief in God as the creator of the universe. He saw the theory as promoting atheism and moral relativism and believed that it needed to be challenged and refuted by Christians. So Bob Jones University was founded to create an environment where they could have Christians who agreed with their theology and control the information that they were exposed to and the people that they were around to control every aspect of their lives for the purpose of indoctrination, to continue spreading fundamentalist Christianity because this was seen as the truth in their eyes and it needed to be protected. They needed to save the world from eternal damnation. And the only way to do this was to hold on to their fundamentalist beliefs and their literal interpretation of the Bible. Bob Jones was born on October 19th in 1883 in Alabama. He was an American evangelist, preacher, and founder of Bob Jones College, which then turned into Bob Jones University. After attending a Methodist college in Tennessee, Jones felt a calling to ministry and began preaching in various churches across the South. He was known for his very adamant sermons and uncompromising stance on the Bible as a literal word of God. In 1927, Jones founded Bob Jones College in Florida, a conservative fundamentalist Christian institution of higher learning. The university became known for its strict moral code, which prohibited activities such as dancing, smoking, and drinking alcohol. Jones was a figure in American Christianity known for his staunch opposition to modernism and believed that Christians need to defend the faith against this movement. Jones died on January 16, 1968, at the age of 84 but his legacy still lives on through Bob Jones University, which continued to uphold his conservative values and commitment to Christian education. One of the most controversial aspects of Bob Jones University's history is its policy of racial segregation. 
From its founding in 1927 until the late 1960s and even early 1970s, the university would not admit African-American students. The early 1970s was when BJU started admitting African-American students. Interracial dating and marriage among its students, faculty, and staff were banned until 2000. This policy was based on the university's interpretation of the Bible, which they believed taught that races should not intermarry. Bob Jones Jr. advocated for segregation and opposed the civil rights movement. Bob Jones III maintained the university's policy of banning interracial dating and marriage until 2000. These teachings and attitudes have had a lasting impact on the university and its reputation, and they continue to be a source of controversy and debate today. Even after the university began to admit Black students in the 1970s, it continued to struggle with issues of race and discrimination. In 1982, the university lost its tax-exempt status due to its policy of banning interracial dating and marriage among students and faculty, which was seen as a violation of federal law. The Internal Revenue Service revoked the university's tax-exempt status because of these policies, and the university challenged the court, arguing that the IRS was infringing on its religious freedom. The case Bob Jones University versus United States went all the way to Supreme Court, which ruled in 1983 that the IRS was justified in revoking the university's tax-exempt status. In 2000, Bob Jones University lifted the interracial dating ban. This decision was a significant step forward. The decision to lift the ban was not without controversy. Many conservative Christians saw the move as a compromise of their beliefs and an abandonment of the school's commitment to traditional Christian values. Others saw it as a step toward greater inclusivity and diversity in American society. One of the key figures involved in lifting the ban was George W. Bush. In February 2000, during his presidential campaign, Bush was asked about the Bob Jones University ban during a town hall meeting in South Carolina. Bush, who had previously been criticized for speaking at the university, said that he opposed the ban and called on the school to lift it. Bush's comments were seen as a significant turning point in the campaign to lift the ban. They brought national attention to the issue and put pressure on the university to change its policies. In response, the school's board of trustees voted to lift the ban in March 2000, although it still retained its policy against same-sex relationships. Another controversial aspect of Bob Jones University's history is its strict adherence to fundamentalist Christian beliefs and its resistance to academic freedom. The university has been criticized for promoting a narrow and dogmatic worldview that is incompatible with modern scholarship and scientific research. In recent years, Bob Jones University has made efforts to distance itself from its controversial past 
The first big step was lifting the interracial dating ban in 2000. The university has also taken steps to promote greater academic freedom and to diversify its curriculum. In 2017, the university announced the creation of a new School of Health and Professions, which will offer degrees in, in fields such as nursing, occupational therapy, and exercise science. Bob Jones University also regained its accreditation status. Despite these changes, Bob Jones University has still remained a controversial institution with critics charging that it promotes a narrow and exclusionary version of Christianity, and it still hasn't fully reckoned with its history of racial segregation and academic repression. Another issue with the university is its discrimination against LGBTQ plus students. They claim their policies around this are based on its interpretation of traditional Christian beliefs. They believe this means prohibiting same-sex relationships and transgender identities and restricting the expression of LGBTQ plus identities on campus. Bob Jones III made very violent comments about gay people talking about them needing to be stoned and killed. He has thankfully retracted these comments after much backlash. In regards to the rules at Bob Jones, LGBTQ plus students are not allowed to date or marry someone of the same sex. They can't use pronouns or names that do not align uh, with their birth certificate and they can't engage in any behavior that is considered contrary to traditional Christian beliefs regarding sexuality and gender. The policies have been criticized by many people as discriminatory and harmful to queer students who may feel ostracized and unwelcome on campus. Some former students have spoken out about their experiences at the university, describing a culture of fear and repression that made it difficult for them to express their true identities and beliefs. In response to these criticisms, Bob Jones University was, has defended its policies as a reflection of its commitment to traditional Christian beliefs and values. However, many LGBTQ plus activists and civil rights groups argue that these policies are discriminatory and violate the basic human rights of LGBTQ plus students. Elizabeth Hunter is a former queer student from Bob Jones University who joined a lawsuit against the Department of Education for giving Bob Jones University taxpayer money. This was joined from a lawsuit that was suing several colleges across the United States that were Christian universities that still had government funding and practice LGBTQ plus discrimination. Another controversial part of Bob Jones University's history is the Grace Report. In the early 2010s, Bob Jones University faced a sexual abuse scandal. The scandal centered on allegations that the university had mishandled reports of sexual abuse and assault 
and had failed to provide adequate support and resources to victims and failed to report these crimes to authorities. In response to these allegations, the university commissioned an independent investigation by the law firm of GRACE, which stands for Godly Response to Abuse in Christian Environment. The investigation which found widespread evidence of sexual abuse and assault at the university, as well as evidence of a systemic failure to address these issues. The Grace Report, which was released in 2014, was a comprehensive and damning indictment of the university's handling of sexual abuse and assault. The report found that the university had a culture of silence and secrecy surrounding these issues, and that many victims had been discouraged from reporting their experiences or seeking support. Many victims were also blamed and shamed for what they had experienced. In 2014, Stephen Jones left his role as president, and the torch was handed to Steve Pettit. Now that you have a general overview of the history of Bob Jones University, I want to dig into more of the specifics. So one thing I want to emphasize is that Bob Jones, they have their own academy, which enrolls students from preschool through 12th grade, and they hope to funnel these students into the university. And so that's something I want to emphasize. And another part of Bob Jones University is their film productions and their studio, which is called Unusual Films, because Bob Jones has the nickname as the world's most unusual university. So Unusual Films, it produced seven feature-length films with an evangelistic emphasis. So there's Wind of Morning, Red Runs the River, Flame in the Wind, Sheffy, Beyond the Night, The Printing, and Milltown Pride. The reason that Unusual Films was created was because Bob Jones Sr. and Bob Jones Jr. believed that film could be an excellent medium for mass evangelism. And in 1950, that was when Unusual Films started within the School of Fine Arts. Another aspect of Bob Jones University is the museum and gallery. So Bob Jones Jr. loved European art and began collecting after World War II on about $30,000 a year authorized by the university board directors. After the death of Bob Jones Jr., Erin Jones, the wife of BJU president, Stephen Jones became the director and Stephen Jones, he he was a president from 2005 to 2014. R right now, the museum is currently closed, and there's a lot of speculation of if they'll ever open. But there is news in 2021 that Aaron Jones said the museum was exploring a permanent home near the proposed downtown conference center. The next aspect is the library, so also known as the Mac Library. 
The library has books for students to use for classes, and the university archive holds copies of all university publications, oral histories of faculty and staff, and remnants of university correspondence and artifacts related to the Jones family and the history of Bob Jones University. Another aspect of Bob Jones is BJU Press. BJU Press originated from the need for textbooks for the Christian school movement. BJU Press also offers distant learning courses online via DVD and hard drive. And next in this episode, Aaron Birchwell has a lot of insight about the history of Bob Jones campus and their buildings. And I think another thing is, I know it was more prominent then than it is now, but as I've been talking with people, it's like you had everything you needed on campus. There was really rarely a reason to leave. So could you talk about all the different, I know someone told me BJ, you had a farm. Could you dig into all the different like buildings and things on campus and services they provided to really just keep you trapped in this isolated environment? Yes. Isolation is a, it, yeah, it's key. Talk about the farm, but just to, to your point about keeping you there, another reason to stay and stick it out, even if your children were not treated well, or even if it was because you didn't have any IRA or whatever it's called, a Roth, you didn't have any retirement. So if you chose to leave, then you were starting over in your 50s or 60s. People, they had to stick it out, which just to me, seems very well thought out on the university's part. It was just one more thing keeping you there. And again, you like you said, these people, they exploited people, they exploited workers, and yet they've hung on to supposedly millions and millions of dollars worth of this religious Catholic art. That That's a whole nother podcast in and of itself, the art. How did they get it? Did they pay taxes? How did they come into the country? And they're holding on to it. And yet, again, a a check for a fraction of one of those pieces in War Memorial Chapel could pay for another year for my parents in assisted living. They won't do the right thing when it comes to money. They just won't. So yes, they were a self-sufficient campus. They used to have their own farm. The farm was located, I don't know, 20 miles off site of campus. It shut down. I don't know if this is why it shut down, but I know a staff member was electrocuted at the farm and died. And I don't know the full story, but I know that he was up trying to fix up on a pole and was electrocuted. And a couple years after that, there was no more farm. I don't know if it was insurance or that was just, I have no idea why we didn't have the farm anymore. But they used to have all their own milk because they had dairy cows. They used to slaughter their own cows. They had meat. Students learned agriculture out there. So yeah, the dining come and fed people. The farm had a lot to do with that. The farm also tied into the schooling. There was a post office on campus, a dry cleaners, two theaters, a beautiful chapel, housing on back campus, tennis courts, even a small lake. <laughs> of course, the rumor for years, and I don't think there's truth to this, but the rumor for years was that at Omega Lake, as it was called, which is the retaining pond on back campus, that in the 60s, Dr. Bob Jr. was worried about riots and things. And so there supposedly was an arsenal of guns ground on campus somewhere near the lake. I don't think that's true, but that was the rumor going around. So yeah, they had their, their, there was rarely a reason to go off campus. Some people chose to live off campus. My parents always chose to live off campus. Some people really couldn't afford to live off campus. I knew 
a couple of friends in the same neighborhood as we were, who were also faculty kids. And because all three meals were provided at the school through this cafeteria system, I would go to their house sometimes playing in their backyard and we, I would open the refrigerator as a child. And the only thing in the fridge would be a pitcher of water from the sink. That was it. That's all that was in there. because you didn't eat between meals. You ate at the dining common. That wasn't everyone. That wasn't our family. But I do know several families who are like that. So, yeah, most of my friends were born on campus in the hospital there and never really went off campus for any reason. The hospital is another interesting thing. When my mom had cancer for the first time in 1987, you had to use doctors there. You had your own doctors at Bob Jones. There were three doctors from most of the 80s and 90s that everyone, all 5,000 students, all hundreds of faculty staff, all hundreds of faculty staff kids used. They were very busy. Those are the doctors you used. When my mom needed surgery, a lumpectomy for breast cancer, her surgeon refused to do surgery at Barge on campus because he said it is not equipped for surgery and it's dangerous and I won't do it. They tried to make her switch oncologists because they said, no, our, we will only cover for you to have surgery here. So I, people did have surgery at Barge on campus, but it was not really that safe. They did bring in their own anesthesiologist and he wasn't there that long. I don't know why, but I do know that one of the last things that happened at Barge also, I can't say this is why they closed, but I know that a guy who I went to from kindergarten through college with, his first year out of college, his mom was a nurse at Barge, had been a nurse at Bob Jones for years. He had a, some sort of routine jaw surgery at Barge. Again, remember in the 80s, he died during surgery at Barge. I guess it was maybe around for five, six, seven more years after that. But yes. So yeah, when you say self-sufficient, I mean, down to food, down to doctors, everything was right there. And so a lot of people really didn't get off campus much. And in the next section of this podcast, I want to dig deeper into each president of Bob Jones University. So Bob Jones Sr. was born Robert Reynolds Jones Sr. on October 30th, 1883. He was an American evangelist, pioneer religious broadcaster, and the founder and first president of Bob Jones University. He was the 11th of 12 children. Jones married Bernice Sheffield in 1905, but she contracted tuberculosis and died within 10 months of their marriage. On June 17, 1908, he married Mary Gaston Stolenork, whom he had met as a choir member during a meeting he was conducting in Uniontown, Alabama. Their only child, Bob Jones Jr., was born October 19, 1911 in Montgomery. Bob Jones Sr. passed away on January 16, 1968, in Greenville, South Carolina. The Jones family was devoutly Christian, and his mother was Baptist, and his father was an immersed Methodist. The family attended a nearby Methodist church where Jones was converted at age 11. Bob Jones Sr. began his ministry at a young age. At age 12, he was made Sunday school superintendent and held his first revival meeting at his home church, seeing 60 conversions in a single week. At 13, he built a brush arbor shelter and organized his own congregation of 54 members. 
By age 15, Jones was a licensed circuit preacher for the Alabama Methodist Conference. Regarding some of the controversies of Bob Jones Sr., he was known for his views on race, and his most well-known sermon on race was his 1960 radio address, where Jones declared that God had been the author of segregation and that opposition to segregation was opposition to God. I want to make note that Bob Jones Sr. had connections to the Ku Klux Klan. Jones' health began to fail before the integration of neighboring Furman University in 1965, and he did not live to see the abandonment of segregation six years later at Bob Jones University. Another one of Bob Jones Sr.'s controversies was the break that occurred in the late 1950s between separatist fundamentalists and neo-evangelicals represented by the newly prominent evangelist Billy Graham. Bob Jones Sr. argued that if members of Graham's campaign executive committee had rejected major tenets of Orthodox Christianity such as the virgin birth and the deity of Christ, then Graham had violated 2 John 9-11, which prohibits receiving fellowship those who do not abide in the teaching of Christ. There's also speculation that this separation was really over race issues. Billy Graham wanted integration. Bob Jones Sr. did not. The second president of Bob Jones University was Bob Jones Jr. He was born on October 19, 1911 in Montgomery, Alabama. He served as president from the school from 1947 to 1971 and then as chancellor until his death on November 12, 1997. Jones was educated by tutors and at Stark University School in Montgomery. After graduating from Bob Jones College in 1931, when he was 19, Jones earned a master's degree in history at the University of Pittsburgh, that was in 1933, and did further graduate work at the University of Chicago Divinity School and Northwestern University. As a young man, Jones became an accomplished Shakespeare actor and studied at Stratford-upon-Avon. He considered turning professional and even received an offer from Hollywood, thereby causing some anxious moments for his evangelist father. Jones believed that his primary calling was helping his father administer Bob Jones College. Administration, per se, seems to have held little interest for him. At least his autobiography contains virtually no mention of his college presidency. Nevertheless, Jones seems to have directed the school more autocratically after 1953 when the assistant of Bob Jones Sr., Theodore Mercer, was fired allegedly for trying to lead a faculty rebellion against the Joneses. Both Jones's position and his intellectual gifts made him a natural leader of separatist fundamentalism. Although he participated in the founding of National Association of Evangelicals in 1942 and was elected vice president in 1950, Jones left the organization in the following year. By 1959, Jones had formally broken with Billy Graham, who had accepted the sponsorship of liberal Protestants and Roman Catholics for his 1957 New York City Crusade.
Bob Jones Jr. was involved in several controversies during his time at Bob Jones University. One of the most well-known controversies was the blood controversy involving John MacArthur and Bob Jones Jr., which is infamous within Baptist fundamentalism. In a 1986 issue of Faith for the Family, a Bob Jones University sponsored magazine, Jones quoted some remarks of MacArthur had originally made in a live Q&A session at a church in the early 1970s. MacArthur's comments have been transcribed and published in May 1976, issue of the Grace Church newsletter, Grace Today. The Jones article cited the comments without any documentation, without noting that they were from a 10-year-old source. So in the article, Jones quoted MacArthur saying, It is not his bleeding that saved me, but his dying. Jones then cited Hebrews 9.22, Without shedding of blood is no remission. Another controversy involved Jones' sharp criticism of the Roman Catholic Church. For instance, Jones Jr. said that Catholicism was not another Christian denomination. It is a satanic counterfeit and ecclesiastic tyranny over the souls of men. It is the old harlot of the Book of Revelation. In 1965, Bob Jones Jr. condemned Billy Graham's evangelism as unscriptural and heretical, noting that Graham shared his platform with Catholic priests and that would one could not be a good Catholic and a good spiritual Christian. The next president was Bob Jones III. He was born on August 8, 1939, and he is an American academic administrator and writer. He is the son of Bob Jones Jr. and the grandson of Bob Jones Sr. He served as the third president of Bob Jones University from 1971 to 2005. He was born in Cleveland, Tennessee, and his family moved to Greenville, South Carolina in 1947 when Bob Jones College built a new campus and became Bob Jones University. Bob Jones III completed his Bachelor's of Arts in 1959 and Master's of Arts in 1961 from Bob Jones University and took additional courses in speech and drama at Northwestern University and New York University. He also received honorary degrees from two small Bible schools and a seminary. Jones believed that he had been called to help perpetuate the ideals and standards of the school his grandfather founded. Between 1961 and 1971, his father provided him with a growing administrative role in the university, including preaching for campus services, and Jones also accepted an increasing number of off-campus speaking invitations. Bob Jones III was involved in several controversies during his time at Bob Jones University. One of the most well-known controversies was his 1980 comments calling for gay men and lesbians to be killed as the Bible commands. In 2015, 35 years later after he made the comments, Jones issued an apology calling his comments antithetical to my theology and my 50 years of preaching a redeeming Christ. Another controversy is that Bob Jones III appeared on Larry King Live in 2000 and announced that Bob Jones University was ending its ban on interracial dating. He stated that the school had a broader testimony and that the ban was meaningless. This announcement came after the university had received significant criticism for its policies, including from then-candidate George W. Bush, who had visited the university during his campaign. And the next president was Stephen Jones. 
Stephen Jones was born on December 31st, 1969, and he is a son of Bob Jones III, the grandson of Bob Jones Jr., and the great-grandson of Bob Jones Sr. He was born on the university campus and graduated from Bob Jones Academy. In 1992, he received a bachelor's degree in public speaking from BJU and in 1996, a master's of divinity. On the day he became university president in 2005, Jones also received a PhD in liberal arts studies from BJU. Jones's wife, Erin Rodman Jones, who is a director of the BJU Museum and Gallery, is also a BJU graduate. Before becoming president, Jones served BJU as a teaching assistant, a resident hall supervisor, and the vice president for administration. Stephen Jones was the fourth president of Bob Jones University from 2005 to 2014. When asked if he wished to play a political role as the previous presidents had at BJU, he replied, it would not be my choice. And the next president of Bob Jones University was Steve Pettit, and he was born November 27, 1955. He was an American Christian evangelist and academic administrator, serving as the fifth president of Bob Jones University. He was born in Quitman, Georgia, but his parents, who had met in the U.S. Air Force, moved to Columbia, South Carolina when he was three. Pettit spent his childhood in Columbia performing in a workshop theater founded by his mother and playing the tuba in high school. Pettit attended the Citadel, where he received a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration in 1978. In response to a radio sermon on Easter Sunday, 1975, Pettit called on the Lord and he saved me by his grace. Believing he was called to preach, Pettit enrolled in Bob Jones University Seminary and Graduate School of Religion, where he graduated with a Master of Arts in Pastoral Studies in 1980. He served as an assistant pastor at the First Baptist Church, Bridgeport, Michigan, from 1980 until 1985, and he formed his own Steve Pedant Evangelistic Association with headquarters in Wisconsin. He and his evangelistic teams of young people in their 20s conducted more than 800 evangelistic campaigns throughout the United States and in more than 21 countries. Pettit also served as staff evangelist 1985 to 2002 and camp director 2002 to 2011 at Northland Camp and Conference Center in Dunbar, Wisconsin. In 2011, he became National Director of Cross Impact Ministries. The BJU Board of Trustees made Pedant president of Bob Jones University on May 8, 2014, after the resignation of Stephen Jones, the great-grandson of the founder of Bob Jones Sr. Pedant thus became the first president of the university not related to the Jones family. Steve Pedant resigned from his position as president in early 2023, and a lot of things happened coming up to this point. So there was concern in the fall of 2022 that he would not be renewed in his contract to be president, and this caused an uproar from students on campus who loved Pettit and wanted him to stay and thought he was bringing the school in a good direction. But there were some people on the board that were extremely fundamentalist and wanted to bring the school backwards and not forwards. So what happened was, with the outcry, Pettit was renewed in his contract. 
But people were upset about this. And one of these people was John Lewis. So John Lewis started having secret meetings without anyone's knowledge until someone found out. Pettit found out about these meetings and how John Lewis was secretly fighting against him. And Pettit called for Lewis to resign from his position on the board. And if Lewis did not, then Pettit would resign. And John Lewis did not resign, so Pettit resigned. And then it was just a little bit later that John Lewis resigned from his position from the board because a bunch of faculty and staff signed a letter asking him to. And once that happened, C. Pettit did not come back. And so right now, the acting CEO of Bob Jones University, which started in May 2023, is Alan Benson. Prior to that, he was the vice president for student development and discipleship in May 2018. In this role, he oversaw key functions that impacted the overall BJU student experience, such as student discipleship, student leadership, activities and organizations, residence life, student conduct, student care, including counseling and physical health. Alan Benson served as a youth pastor and senior pastor in Florida, North Carolina, and Illinois for 25 years. He came to BJU from Bethel Baptist Church in Illinois, where he served for five years as senior pastor of the 600-member church and president of a Christian day school of nearly a 1,000 students. He earned a BA in Bible in 1992 and a Master of Ministry in 2009 from BJU, and then a Master of Divinity from Louisiana Baptist Theological Seminary in 2011 and a Doctor of Ministry from BJU Seminary. So right now he is the acting CEO of Bob Jones University, and it is unsure who the next president will be and how long Bob Jones University will stay open. In the next section of this episode, I sit down with Camille Lewis to talk about Bob Jones University's involvement in politics. For those unfamiliar with Camille Lewis, she has a PhD in rhetorical studies, and she attended Bob Jones University, and she was on faculty and staff at BJU for many years. She also runs her blog called What BJU, which keeps record of things that Bob Jones University does not want you to know about. Enjoy this segment of this episode weaponized it and for their own benefit and for money power control and like through politics which oh let's, yeah let's dig into politics with oh me. boy well let's and dig into that as i got a lot on this yeah. <laughs> so my thesis statement for that would be there has never been a time when bob jones inc anybody any of the iterations of bob jones has ever not been political they've always been political so if it's fighting desegregation in 1960 in Greenville, South Carolina, or campaigning for a presidential candidate in 1928. It's, they're always connected with power. Now, I have some examples in my little folder for you, but I found one, and these are just little ones, so that they wouldn't be overwhelming. I found one from 1993. Do you know Asa Hutchinson? Have you heard that name recently? I've heard it. Okay, so but he's running for president. He's oh, a okay. former governor of Arkansas. He's a BJU grad. His brother graduated. I think it's two sons and then his nephews, too. So they're all BJU folks. But I got a, an article in the Voice of the Alumni from 1993 pushing him and his brother for public office. That's, I mean, it, political. Then in 1965, 
I have this statement from Bob the Third saying, we have both Democrats and Republicans on our faculty and represented in the student body. That's not true anymore, I'm sure, but that's what he said in 65. We believe in the old-fashioned Christian Americanism, which made this country great, those principles of freedom of thought and expression of personal integrity, of strength, of character, freedom for all, pride of nation, etc. And because we believe strongly in these things, we desire to see them maintained. So that's a very political statement that he's making there. We believe in old-fashioned Christian Americanism. But then the last sentence is, but we do not play politics here at Bob Jones. So he's doing that either-or thing so that you're unsettled. But that's a very, I would call that a very white supremacist thing. This Americanism idea is talking about white America, white Protestant America. So that's in 65. I've got another thing here that I found. Okay. So South Carolina was the last state in the union to recognize Martin Luther King Day as an official holiday. They did it in 2000, which just blows my... Wait, hold, what are you... I, I did not know this. What? It's still crazy to me that Bob Jones University lifted their interracial dating ban in it's 2000. Yeah, you're right. Oh, my God. I okay. looked it up. South Carolina was the last state in the union to acknowledge Martin Luther King Day in 2000. But Greenville County was still fighting over it three years later, and they wouldn't concede. I think they finally conceded in 2004. So in 2003, I got this letter to the end. No, it's an article that Bob Third wrote. It's a column about why Greenville shouldn't celebrate Martin Luther King Day. It, and it, if you would read it, I mean, it, it, when insiders like us read it, we're like, oh, boy, isn't that typical? It's just nonsense. He basically says, this is so ridiculous. I'm not a racist. <laughs> to vote against a Martin Luther King holiday would cause some to brand me a racist. Yet, knowing what I do about Martin Luther King, the man, his well-known and undisputed marital infidelities, his leftist political philosophies, his theological irregularities would, as a matter of principle, preclude my voting to honor him with a holiday. His race has nothing to do with it. Of course, it has everything to do with it. See, they do that weird argument where they say it's one thing, but no, it's not that, which is always a tell. That's exactly what it is. It's the typical screed. Now, Jesse Jackson wrote a response because, you know, Jesse Jackson is from Greenville. He lives in Chicago now, but he came to help us argue for this holiday. Jesse Jackson says at the end of his article, I was troubled when I read the comments of Dr. Bob Jones, a noted Christian leader on the matter of the Martin Luther King holiday. I felt under the biblical mandate to resolve a disagreement directly with a brother. So in the spirit of Christian brotherhood, I tried to call him three times that we may, might discuss our views and find common ground. And he has yet to call back. So, I mean, even this, yeah. and there's never, they're never not political. And this is just one little thing, one small little thing. But I... Gosh. Yes. And and yeah, it's so fascinating to me how like segregation was the Christian issue. Everyone thought it was the abortion was the first thing. It was segregation. It, was. it Segreg- absolutely was. And that's why Christian schools were started to like keep the white Christian kids away from like any person of color and stopping interracial dating and marriage. Again, stopping integration and what they saw as evil and bad. And again, 
And here's the thing with the their interpretation of the Bible as a truth. For years, they thought they backed up their views with, oh, this is biblical. And then finally, it's 2000. They were like, I don't know yeah. what they... I and don't they know. got... That's because they got shamed into it, though. Yeah. A little I, like, bit. I, I've always thought, like, if George W. Bush never went to Bob Jones and all that stuff, right. I wonder, like, how long it, 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 it would have... I don't know how long. Gosh. Yeah. It... Gosh, it took so long. I remember Bob sitting up and... In, and I refuse to call him Dr. Bob, if you've noticed, because he doesn't have a doctor. But Bob said at a faculty meeting that if you don't agree with us on interracial dating, you should leave. And I didn't know, this was in the 90s, I think, late 90s. I didn't know anybody who agreed with him. And yet we all stayed. I was willfully ignorant. I was choosing to to be, my white privilege allowed me to not have to f- face that. I know that. Yeah, and then even in addition to that, all the indoctrination, and again, you're it's your whole world. You're right. literally you're dependent on them for resources. That's another thing of cults. So they keep you so dependent on them, and it's interesting because with the George W. Bush fiasco, which I've covered in a previous episode, so you don't have to worry about explaining that. Yeah, I think that was a point where they wanted to be. I think they they were like, oh, we're getting out of politics, but they didn't. I think they wanted to be less obvious. Okay. About that's, it. I yeah, feel that's, like, a, that's fair. That's fair. But they've still been involved. So I want to talk about how even since 2000, and I know Ellen Weaver, that's a recent example, but what other examples? Example. Yeah. They still, they have their family forum. I have to look it up. In 2016, they had a big forum for with all the candidates. Jeb Bush was there. Ted Cruz was there. Oh. This is 2016. Okay. So the, I can get you the data on that. So the Family and Faith Forum or Family Faith, I don't know what it was called. It had three Fs. Donald Trump wasn't there, but his spokesperson, Mark, the pastor, the African-American pastor that's local that supports oh, Trump, was the that. speaker for him. I think he's in Anderson. So there's, and they're having conversations and someone just sent me a new, a recent BJU grad who's running for office. They're still very interested in politics. Yes. And that's the thing about cults too. They want to get involved as influence. And, and I remember I recently had a conversation with someone on a podcast about this and they're like, I just don't get why these Christians can't just, these fundies can't just live their lives and live the way they want to and just let other people be. And we're not harming anyone by doing what we want. And I'm like, okay, I said, as someone who grew up in this, they believe that everyone should live the way exactly they live. Mm -hmm. And they believe that if other people don't, then God is going to judge our nation through terrible catastrophes or different things. So they have this sense of urgency that they have to turn our nation into theocracy to get like blessings from God and to not judge our nation. And and again, they see their interpretation as the only way and the truth. And if you don't agree with them, you are influenced by Satan. You are wrong. If you're not with them, you are against yes. them and you're bad and yeah. evil. And so I'm and like, every, everything's locking heads. Everything is that. 
Yeah, exactly. All these different fundamentalist organizations, no matter whatever they are, whether it's the IBLP, whether it's Focus on the Family, whether it's Bob Jones University, Pensacola, like all these different fundamentalist organizations. There's so many others. There's a Family Research Council, which James Dobson found also. Oh, I can tell you about Family Research Council, too, by the way. But let's keep going. Of course. And... We are loving this conversation. It's just after watching the Shiny Happy Peel documentary and how it showed on the visually on the screen, the IBLP and all the different, like how it would spread it to all these churches and all these organizations. I'm like, and putting out this theology into the world, into the government. I'm like, that's Bob Jones. They're sending all these grads into churches and they're sending missionaries to really push this theology and way of life and really mixed in with like Christian nationalism. It was like, we need people like us in the government to turn. And they think, and that's another thing. They don't think that anyone else outside their belief system knows what's best for them. They think they know what's best. They're blind to the truth because they have it. And I remember my own mother growing up like saying, I wish I could force everyone to live the way we live because the world would be a much better place. And for people who don't know the context, I grew up in a very strict fundamentalist household in the IFB. My parents taught me that interracial dating and marriage is a sin. My dad justified slavery. My dad justified the Indian genocide, all of that stuff. I heard my parents like justify violence against gay people so that gay people deserve to die of AIDS. So like all of these terrible things. So I'm just saying a lot of patriarchal, a lot of abusive teeth. So they were really extreme. Okay. And they thought it was normal, completely normal. And, and my, my parents, like they had the Duggar style teachings and my mom never wore pants or shorts. She always wore dresses and skirts growing up always in submission to my dad all the time no matter what so very much like a Duggar upbringing and and that's what these people want they want people families like the Duggars teachings these fundamentalist families and they want this in the government and they don't want human rights for people and you like you mentioned that about Bob Jones about Bennett Jones saying Christians we don't fight for human rights but now Dr. Bob pursues rights, for his own rights. He yeah. just doesn't. It's just for those who are under him, under the umbrella. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we're not yes. supposed to do that. Yeah. Again, all these things is about spreading this message as far and wide as possible. The, the churches across the U.S. and like the Mormon church too, like all these different religious back, they have so much money and they could actually really help the poor and do what Jesus really wanted them right. to do and helping and caring for people. And like I've yeah. thought about in my own life, the people that have changed my life have been the ones that have shown me love and compassion without anything like unconditionally loving me. And it's not the people who shoved dogma in my face. It's not the people who told me I was deserving of hell. It wasn't people who like did something for me, but they expected me to believe this or confirm their right. It had to be a transaction. It had to be a transaction. Situations. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't. And so that was just crazy to me. I'm like, how... It's so far removed from what Jesus wanted at all. Just what this whole like white supremacy, Christian nationalism, fundamentalist, toxic theology, fiat. Oh, it's a mess. It's a mess. It is a mess. And it is. It's destructive. Yeah. Self-destructive. They are hurting themselves. Mm -hmm. And it is. It is the fair. It is Phariseeism. Yes, it is. It It absolutely is. Yes. And like the thing that always annoyed me growing up, I would hear things in the IFB. And even sometimes at Bob Jones, oh, like, we're not legalistic. People say we do. And here's what they say. They're like, we believe that you have eternal security. You don't have to work your way to heaven. But here's the thing. 
if you don't follow the rules, if you don't live their lifestyle, they'll tell you that you're not going to heaven. Right. That's a sign that you're not saved. Right. It's like a there's that know. opposite thing. Yes, it's just it's to a, keep you under, to keep you in learned helplessness. Oh my God! Yes, yeah. so every time they're like, we're not legalistic, but and, but, and, they, yeah. and the thing is, they're going by their own definition mm-hmm. of what legalism is. Honestly, and they're which is somebody out there, whatever they're doing, that's legalistic. <laughs> whatever it is, yes. You know. <laughs> oh my God! Yes, that's you're absolutely right. Yeah, what a mess. But again, yeah. So back to the politics. Could you mm-hmm. dig into the Ellen Weaver situation? Oh, so Ellen Weaver was got a Bachelor of Arts, and I don't remember the year, but she got a Bachelor of Arts from Bob Jones in political science, and she went and worked for some. I think it was Jim Dement. And she was chosen, clearly, to run for the superintendent in South Carolina for education. I don't know what happened, but she got a master's degree very quickly from Bob Jones University. And as far as I know, Sachs is the accrediting body is looking into it. It's being investigated as far as I understand it. So it's not done yet. Now, the Republicans in mm-hmm. the state love this. They love that they have their own person in there and they don't really care about the lack of credentials because she's their person. So it always it's always their tribe that they're foregrounding. It's always it's the, the person who pushed their agenda and their right. ideology. And to me, like this for people listening, this wasn't just like a Greenville, South Carolina thing. This was South Carolina. What was what is her position called? I she's think it's superintendent. Superintendent of Education of yeah. South Carolina. Yeah. She's the top, the top educational oh. officer in the state oh. of public education. She's a faculty kid, so she's never been in the public education classroom as a student or as a teacher. And yet she's in charge of it, which seems to indicate, now this is a, seems to indicate that she wants to let South Carolina public schools disintegrate somewhat so that everybody goes into private education. That's mm-hmm. what it seems like. Like Betsy, yeah. mm-hmm. what's your face to boss? Oh, uh, yeah. I wanted to give an update about Ellen Weaver. Camille and I talked about this situation, and soon after, an article came out in the middle of June in Greenville News. And the title of the article is, it says, Accreditors, no further action against Bob Jones following Weaver's fast track degree. A section of the article states, and I quote, the accrediting agency overseeing Bob Jones University told the news Thursday that no further action will be taken against university after reviewing the monitoring report. The agency provided no further explanation for their decision, end quote. Before we go deeper into this podcast, I want to cover a lot of terms that are going to be referenced throughout the podcast. It's interesting because Bob Jones University kind of has its own terms and language that you would not know unless you went to Bob Jones University. And this is interesting because there are many cults, not all, but many cults who have their own language that outsiders would never know. And I'm going to be reading these terms from this book called BJU and Me, Queer Voices from the World's Most Christian University. This is edited by Lance Wildey, and he's going to be coming on the podcast in a later episode. 
No, I'm just going to emphasize some of these terms have changed. So I will kind of let you know how they changed from my experience because I was there from 2018 to 2021. But in the glossary of BJU terms in this book called BJU and Me, it says this glossary should help the reader better understand the queerness of BJU's separatist culture, but it is not meant to be an exhaustive list. Instead, these terms, which were used, practiced, or implemented at one time by the student body or by the administration during BJU's history, are listed because they are mentioned by the contributors in their stories. So I'm also reading this because people need to understand what people are talking about. And the approach I'm taking to this podcast is that I'm assuming that no one has ever heard of Bob Jones University. And so I'm trying to educate people about it. So hopefully I can go through this relatively quickly, but please listen because this is important for you to understand survivors' stories. Artist series. Required formal events on campus, such as dramatic productions, operas, and concerts, is designed to culturally enrich and socially engage students and is also intended as a dating opportunity. Assistant prayer captain. Every dorm room is assigned a spiritual leader, either an assistant prayer captain or a prayer captain. An APC is the lowest member of the spiritual leader hierarchy in the dorms. Primary responsibilities include leading devotions when prayer group meets in the APC's room and spiritually evaluating roommates at the end of the year for potential spiritual leadership advancement. Now, this has changed at Bob Jones. We now call it assistant group leader for our discipleship groups. They used to be called prayer groups, but now they're called discipleship groups. And it's called assistant group leader. The next term is Barge Memorial Hospital. This is the hospital on BJU campus that served as its primary medical facility. At one point during BJU's history, students were only allowed to miss classes due to illness if they checked into Barge. Bible Conference. A week-long series of multiple church services and sermons per day that substituted for a spring break during the spring semester. Boge or Boge, slang for students who take the rule seriously and are not afraid to turn in rule breakers of any kind to the spiritual authorities. It's mostly a derogatory term. Call slip, formal summons to meet with an administrator or spiritual superior. Campus parents, Faculty and staff who act as surrogate parents to help students acclimate to campus and adjust to living away from home. Campused. Prohibited from leaving campus. Disciplinary action resulting from accruing too many demerits in a given semester. On page 19 of the Bob Jones University Handbook of 1997 to 1998 lists this punishment for when a student reaches 100 demerits. In recent years, students might call it campus arrest. It's generally the same thing. Chapel. Mandatory service for undergraduates at 11 a.m., typically four times a week, 45 minutes long, and includes singing announcements, saying the creed, a form of a sermon, or admonition. Chaperone. 
members of the BTU campus with trusted university status to oversee social interaction between undergraduate men and women students in a variety of contexts on and off campus. Check, doesn't check, checkable, uncheckable. Colloquially, ascribed status to materials and behaviors that are or are not sanctioned by the listed or unlisted rules and expectations of BJU. Used in a sentence. I walked by a friend's dorm room and politely warned him to not play music by the new age artist Enya because her music doesn't check. Choir tour. Part of the overarching promotional campaign at the university in which students from a specific university choir tour a specific part of the country for approximately a week during the semester, visiting and singing for Christian schools and churches in the BJU network. Dating outings. Social events hosted once a year by individual societies, formal or casual, and either on or off campus. Traditionally, casual dating outings were one of the few events when hand-holding during games between men and women could be allowed. Dating. Technically, any instance where a man and woman undergraduate student may find themselves in the same space relatively alone, no matter if the two individuals know each other or not, requires a chaperone or third party to prevent the appearance of impropriety or temptation. Dean of Men and Dean of Women University officials who specifically deal with a variety of matters, including disciplinary ones pertaining to the male or female population of the student body. Demerits. Unit of measurement for negative behavior. Accruing specific amounts in a given semester leads to ever-increasing negative consequences and restrictions. Throughout most of BJU history, accumulating 150 demerits in one semester meant expulsion. Dorm counselor, second highest spiritual leader in every dormitory building, typically a graduate student who is studying for the ministry or who has a respected spiritual reputation. Duties may include problem-solving minor disputes and providing biblical counseling to undergraduate dorm students. Dormitory supervisor, this is the highest spiritual leader in every dormitory building, usually significantly older than the undergrad students. Duties may include administering demerits for infractions and determining what student-submitted materials can be allowed in the dorms. Ensembles. Traveling student groups that represent the university through music or dramatic ministries, often for a few months over the course of a semester or a summer, also called ministry teams. Extension. Any form of community service with an implicit or explicit element of ministry attached. Examples include singing at nursing homes, providing Sunday school morning special music at a local or out-of-town church, passing out religious tracts, and witnessing on nearby Clemson University's campus. Hair check. A grooming rule regulating the length of hair on men's heads. Given without warning, this is a visual test applied by hall leaders to undergrad male students, typically as they walk to their chapel seats. Hall leader. BJU's equivalent of a resident assistant. The highest undergraduate spiritual leader on every dormitory hall. They also serve as a prayer captain or discipleship group leader in his or her respective room. Duties include problem-solving students' conflicts, inspecting dorm rooms before chapel every day, and administering demerits for various room or behavior-related infractions.
also called floor monitor or hall monitor, and also mentioned, also called residence assistant, lights out the time of night when students must be in their dorm rooms at one time. Most students were required in bed, sleeping with lights out by 11 p.m. Now, since I've been there, this rule has changed. It's a lot later now, and they're not as strict about this, but they used to be very strict about lights out. Prayer captain, the spiritual leader over an individual dorm room, as well as over two or three nearby dorm rooms with the assistant prayer captains. Their primary responsibilities include leading spiritual devotions when prayer group meets in the prayer captain's room and spiritually evaluating roommates and the assistant prayer captain with the prayer captain's group at the end of the year searching for potential spiritual leadership for advancement. Now for an update, like I mentioned earlier, now it's called discipleship group leader and assistant discipleship group leader. And we were required to be a part of a discipleship group that met in the dorms several nights a week. And we would get demerits if we did not attend these meetings. And these meetings covered a booklet that was handed out to students every semester. And this booklet had sermons that were taught in chapel. So it was just continuing that indoctrination of BJU's teachings. Purge. Colloquial term for moments in BJU's history when significant numbers of students or faculty members disappear from campus simultaneously as a result of being expelled for any number of reasons, including committing serious infractions and naming other people involved as a part of a confession. Rising bell, the time when students must have both feet out of their beds and on the floor. At one time in BJU's history, dorm students were required to have both feet on the ground for rising bell at 6.55 a.m. until after the hall leader checked the room. Then the students would go back to bed. This does not happen anymore, just to let people know, but this did happen in the past. We do have a bell that rings early in the morning, but this is just meant to say, hey, like it's close to classes being started. Shipped. Expelled. Disciplinary action as a result of accruing 150 demerits usually includes a variation of the phrase withdrew at request of the administration. This phrase is usually seen on transcripts. Traditionally being shipped means a student is not allowed to return for a year, but this sentence is subjective and can be longer. Some students are expelled and told to never come back, and some are even banned from campus. This is especially done to queer students who are expelled from Bob Jones. Social parlor, colloquially called the dating parlor. It's a university designated space on front campus designed for co-ed interaction at allotted times. At one time, the space provided equipment to play ping pong, foosball, and a host of board and card games, but not face cards. Before the advent of cell phones, this was also a space where couples could use a shared phone to talk to their parents. For an update, the current social parlor is called the Den, and it's a social area that has Chick-fil-A and some other restaurants and a little snack store and a coffee place, a little bookstore, and it does have a game room. Socialed. Prohibited from dating. Disciplinary action resulting from accruing 75 demerits in a given semester, and this is noted on page 19 of the Bob Jones University Student Handbook in 1990, 7 through 1998.
Society, formerly known as Literary Societies, BGU's version of the Greek fraternity and a sorority system with mandatory membership. Societies would meet once a week, usually Fridays, during the allotted time for chapel. Yeah, societies do still meet once a week, and you're required as an undergrad student to join them. Spiritual probation, a period of time when an undergrad student must work on spiritual or character shortcomings as deemed by the university through some form of periodic meetings with a spiritual leader. Vespers programs, required events, usually devotional, dramatic, or musical productions. But this is a short list of some of the terms that students use, and I hope it will help you understand survivors' experiences. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surviving Bob Jones University. It would be greatly appreciated if you could give the podcast a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews helps listeners just like you find the show.